Welcome to Just Plain Wrong, the podcast where three Mennonite librarians discuss depictions of Amish, Mennonites, and other plain groups in popular culture. I'm Erin Milanese, your moderator for this episode, and with me are my co-hosts, Tilly Yoder and Abby Nofsinger. This episode, we will be discussing With Open Arms by Kathy Allerding, which is funny because the cover says Kathy Aldering. More on that later. Published by Dell Publishing Co. as part of its Candlelight Ecstasy Supreme line in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that, that's the real name of the line. Candlelight Ecstasy Supreme. I feel like Supreme. it feels like something you order at Taco Bell. Yeah, Supreme is something I'm used to being attached to like food or the titles of of like bad guys and animated cartoons for kids. You know, like the Supreme Dark Overlord. <laughs> as far as we know, this is the only Amish themed Candlelight Ecstasy Supreme. And I do feel like Candlelight is appropriate for an Amish themed book. But here are some other titles from the series. <laughs> They're listed as Candlelight Ecstasy Supremes. <laughs> Plural. Anyway, we have Aphrodite's Promise, A Little Bit of Warmth, More Than She Bargained For, A Lust for Danger. I don't know. It just it feels very 80s to, to both uh, to, to skim the titles in this book. Anyway, um, for our opener question, it's been a while. I think it was our first, second, so somewhere in one of our early episodes where we first asked the question about whether or not we read romance novels. So it's been over a year since we've answered that question. And I know for me, the answer has changed and I don't know why. I think it's just a need for fluff in my life, but uh, with the pandemic and everything else going on, but I have actually started reading a lot more romance than I ever did before this podcast, not Amish romance, but like modern contemporary romances. So I'm just curious if that's been true for the two of you as well. I feel like I've definitely been reading more romance over the last couple of years. I went through a romance kick back in high school and then pretty much didn't read anything for, wow, okay, multiple decades now, I guess. I'm trying to remember how many years it's been since I've been in high school. Many. And yeah, I feel like between, I think partly it's also with having two small kids, I need books that I can get into really quickly, that move fast, that keep me engaged. And, and I think romance novels have done a good job of that so far so I have have been reading more of those not exclusively but I've definitely been reading more of them I think because of those those particular traits and how that kind of just fits with what I need with my reading selections right now yeah I think I've been reading more romance really the last several years I used to I think as a teenager and even through college a bit sort of a snob about it. It's like, oh yes, those are <laughs> trashy books. They're not for me. That, you know, they're not literary enough. And then you know, the truth is enough of my friends read them and I some of them mentioned that, you know, like this is a, a genre that's written by women for women. And that means it will have certain problems, but it also means it will have certain benefits. And that there's nothing like there's no reason to demean it as a genre, even if there are individual titles that are not good. You know, that's that's what happens when you have a genre that's so, so big. Uh, so I've been reading more, and for the same reasons, it's kind of like popcorn. It may not always be a book that I end up really loving, but it's usually something that I enjoy and I read quickly, and it has 
heightened emotion, I guess. It's it's kind of why I still like YA books too, where I'm just like, you know what? I don't have the patience to read through like a literary slog of someone like on the prairie considering their <laughs> life over the years, you know, where the yeah. most exciting thing they did was like go to Chicago. Like, I, I'm sorry. I need more plot. I need more action. And I need like more stakes because I know what it's like to live in ennui and feel like day-to-day is boring. I don't need to read about other people's boring (laughs) day-to-day. I need to read about other people's like exciting adventures. Thank you. Yeah. In the last decade, I've kind of done 180 on romance. Mine's like the last two years. Like, yeah. I mean, I would occasionally read it before, but never, I don't never like I do now where I'm like looking at the books I've read so far in 22 and probably like at least half of them are, are, are romance. So we're going to do this book discussion a little bit differently than many of our other ones, uh, in part because this was a different sort of book. Uh, It wasn't quite the same formula that we see with more modern Amish romance, and also because I think I was just sort of in the mood to try something different. So we're going to do this more like recap style where we actually have several summaries and we will give you a lot more detail about the book and then we will pause and discuss uh, chunk by chunk, essentially. So summary part one, the beginning. At the start of our book, Ruth Mueller is an anthropology PhD student currently holding the coveted position as assistant to anthropology bigwig on campus, Dr. Philip Lane. Though Ruth is two decades younger than Philip, she is very much in love with him. And while this love is one-sided, Philip uses it and his general power as a tenured professor and PhD advisor to get Ruth to do all his work for him. The book begins with him reprimanding her for not doing all of his work to a satisfactory level, though it's clear he's just trying to get her to quit in order to replace Ruth with a younger, more well-connected research assistant. Her response is to request a sabbatical year to finish her dissertation research back home in the Goshen area and study the Amish. Yeah, Yeah, I'm pretty sure all of my notes are on this section, which really is just the first chapter or like, Uh uh, oh, I have one that says workplace romance, not good. And then I have a frowny face. When I was going back in it, in my head, I was convinced that they actually like had a love affair. So I was somewhat mm-hmm. relieved to realize that that didn't actually happen. It was unrequited. I mean, he clearly knew and took mm-hmm. advantage of it, yeah. but like he never acted on it. Yeah, I I will say, and this is kind of maybe also touching on some other things, but I figured this is probably maybe a time to talk about how academia is like Yes, depicted in this book and honestly I think this is one of my like biggest inaccuracies the whole thing just felt bizarre to me like she's a so she's hasn't written her PhD she's working as this assistant she gets a sabbatical which is just like I don't even understand that and then the whole like year that she's doing it and also like all of her research is just kind of like she makes a cute few trips to the library and that's about it. And she spends a lot of time thinking about, well, Jacob, who you're going to meet in the next summary. But I was just like very confused as to like the academic part of it. It just didn't feel, I don't know, maybe things were really different in the eighties and you could get sabbaticals as a pre dissertation PhD student, but I highly doubt it. Well, I was like, maybe she's just requesting a year off and calling it a sabbatical. I, yeah, yeah it, it was weird because then I was like well if you're requesting and you're off why don't you just quit like you don't need this guy like wh- it, it wasn't clear what she was getting out of 
not just quitting her work with Philip entirely. Well, she made that. I mean, there's definitely reference to the idea that she was getting funding because she it makes oh. no attempt to get a job. Like mm-hmm. she is either independently wealthy or can afford like or is getting funding for this year to go, you know, live in Elkhart County and study the Amish. So. So Ruth leaves her job. She or she starts the sabbatical year and then she returns home to Elkhart County and moves in with her aunt, Mammy Detweiler, who owns a farm and greenhouse in the rural area near Goshen. Doesn't say exactly where. Mammy's assistant and farmhand, Jacob Yoder, lives on the property as well in a small apartment in the barn. Jacob is formerly Amish and is described as having, quote, a massive form and blue eyes like, quote, a cloudless summer day. Ruth is immediately skeptical of Jacob because he knows so much about her through Mammy, but she knows very little about him. This distrust rather abruptly turns into dislike as Ruth implies that Jacob is too dumb to understand her research and the research process, and Jacob is defensive of his relatives and former community being the subject of her research. Mammy shares more info with Ruth about Jacob, including that he chose not to join the Amish when he was 20 and is therefore shunned for 10 years and then is now not shunned? I was... Confused and figured that was another good place to stop for some discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've said it before, but we could say it again. Shunning is a formal process, and you cannot be shunned unless you join the church first. So if he didn't join the church, he could have been ostracized or ignored, or he could have gone wandering on his own merry way through the English world for 12 years, which is what he says he did, but it would not have been formal shunning. Mm -hmm. I also didn't love the way that they, here's, here's how shunning is described in the book. Like this is a quote, shunning is an Amish custom. It's the way they keep their culture pure, unchallenged by individuals who don't agree or question the order's way. I I don't know that that's really inaccurate, but I didn't like it because it makes Mm -hmm. it sound like, I don't like the word purity in there because that's not really what it's about. Mm-hmm. Who is saying that? Mam- Mammy. Mam- yeah. Mammy. Okay. Because I was going to say, if it's yeah. Jacob saying that and he's resentful, that would color that. But I mean. Oh, no, no, no. It was Ruth. Well, it's unclear. It's a little, yeah. <laughs> and then the next paragraph, but can you imagine what shunning must be like, Ruth? That's clearly man. So I think that's actually Ruth saying that line, which is kind of weird. Like, apparently she knows that. But yeah, she doesn't know what Rumspringa is two minutes yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think it's this idea of keeping their culture pure is the part. I think it'd be, they would talk about it. Shunning is much more about the community and kind of maintaining the boundaries and protecting the community than it is about keeping the culture pure. I will say the other thing, and I'm not sure where exactly this is, but further along in the book, it feels like the shunning was actually probably more accurately described as essentially his family just stopped talking to him, ostracized him, that it wasn't the church. Like he was able to continue to have connections with the Amish community because he had not joined, but Mm -hmm. his family was upset with him for not joining and therefore basically ostracized him for an extended amount of time. It would make total sense if they just replaced the word shunning in the first half of the book with like ostracization or Mm -hmm. he was ignored by his family or he was not welcome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, because that could be true and, and everything else in the story could have been fine and supported that it's just like a yeah 
bad, bad use of a, of something that's a specific term. All right. So picking up with our summary, uh, we now spend several chapters with basically Ruth and Jacob being annoyed slash angry at each other in between like apologizing. So basically they apologize and then they go back to making mean remarks and then they just, it's like a fun little cycle. Meanwhile, they can also both sense that their attraction to each other is growing. Finally, a sort of truce is reached when Jacob offers to help Ruth do her research by introducing her to some Amish people to interview and observe for this research as long as she doesn't tell anyone about Jacob's involvement. This is also the conversation where Jacob overtly makes his romantic intentions known, stating that while Ruth may be studying the Amish, he intends to study beautiful anthropologists. They are interrupted by Mammy before any kissing occurs. And then he leaves for two weeks for a work project. When he gets back, they go for a buggy ride. Jacob takes her to a campground where Amish teens on Rumspringa go to hang out, listen to music, etc. And while observing the Rumspringa rebellion, they decide to have their own and make out in the buggy. <laughs> Which I think we've talked about issues of making out in buggies before. <laughs> yes. I will say that like this section I found to be pretty confusing because the author writes it with this very like odd like skip forward flashback thing like she opens up one of the chapters with this whole thing of like it's just you know Ruth pining and she can't like she can't do any research she's just pining and thinking about Jacob because he's been gone for two whole weeks and then they like I almost missed it I had to go back and like read the page again then they skip back because that just comes out of nowhere it's like they're making out in the buggy and then she's like oh I haven't seen Jacob in two weeks and you're like what Oh, I mean, anyways, and then it like flashes back, picks up the story back from the make and then like carries forward. It was just very odd. Um, I had a little bit of a hard time wrapping my head around it. Um, time moved a little oddly in this book. That was really the only yeah. major flashback area. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't sure why there wasn't more of that. Right. Um, so was my summary right? Or did they make out before he left on the work project? They make out before the work project, but oh. they don't that it's that part of the story is not told until oh, after right. after he comes yes. back because yeah. of the flashback thing. Oh yeah. So it wasn't yeah, it wasn't making out in the buggy and then two weeks. It's just all of a sudden you see her pint. Yeah, it was just Yeah, little... she's just like, Oh, he's been gone for so long. And I'm like, he's gone? What? Where did he go? What's <laughs> happening? What? But it's such a weird thing where he's like just on the south side of Goshen. Like it's not like he's far away. <laughs> but he was putting in like 12-hour days and they put him up in a hotel. Yeah. So he could well, this build also furniture the place, isn't he weeks. like working on the fancy restaurant that seats like 500? And I'm like, what restaurant in Goshen seats 500 None. people? I think it's like, a playoff Essen house. I didn't think there was too much of the apologizing and stepping on each other's fine for the first argument they both had to sleep on it and then apologize the next day but the other arguments it was like oh i can tell that you didn't like that what did i say wrong and there was like immediate correction but i did make a note that said um you know he must have misjudged her he wouldn't let her bear the brunt of what had happened i think my temper caused it all to flare jacob added so he would take his share of responsibility in the matter and i wrote sexy <laughs> because <laughs> Let's be real. Like that's the actual sex <laughs> scene right there. part like, of this book. Yeah, man <laughs> apologizing. <laughs> yeah, I I will say 
It did feel like the two main characters were clearly not the typical like 18 to 21 year olds that embody Mm -hmm. a lot of these books that they were coming with. While I didn't always necessarily buy every part of their kind of like disagreement with each other and then immediate attraction, it did feel more well-developed than some of the other characters we've seen and mm, the way definitely. that like their their actual motivations could make sense to me. Like, oh, okay, she comes home and finds that this beloved aunt has this like new favorite person and feels jealous and, you know, and he's kind of like, wait a second, are you going to be all dudgy? You know, like I could see the motivations mm-hmm. in some ways more than I have with other mm-hmm. Romance. They're a lot more self-aware. Um, and both of them are like, oh, we've, you know, spent a lot of time devoting ourselves to other things. And now we're ready to actually like devote ourselves to something that treats us as a whole person. At one point, Ruth is like, oh my gosh, I've neglected my emotional needs for eight years. Like <laughs> I haven't been home <laughs> three. And I've been like total props to her for looking at Dr. Lane and being like, oh, oh, this isn't good. This guy's, this guy's not a good person and I don't Mm -hmm. have to stay here. Mm -hmm. And props to Jacob for being like, the Amish life is not for me, but neither is wandering around for a decade. I guess I want to farm, so I'm going to farm and make it happen. And then both of them are like, oh, hey, people having, having romance. That's something we both want. And it, it means that the romance isn't expected to solve all of their problems you know, or give them direction in life. It's just something they want to use to build up their lives, not to take up their entire lives. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the romance, so now I'm a little confused. Did the sex scene then also happen before he left for two weeks? It must have because it happened after the buggy ride. Oh, Okay, so she's having, these two weeks had given her time to rethink her priorities. She had been fantasizing. Uh, The idea of seducing him hadn't formed a conscious thought. Um, Yeah, they're in the buggy on the way home, and then he's like, come to my barn. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe the, the buggy happens after the... He was on balance. Yeah, he says that he's going to study beautiful anthropologists, and then that's the end of that scene. They go do the other stuff. Yeah, I think then the two Mm. weeks happen, and then the Rumspringer thing happens. Yeah, I think you're right. But there is that flashback in there that sort of disrupts. They flash during his two week absence, so it flashes back forward again. Um, Here it was Saturday night. He came home for Mammy's fried chicken. And and he drives home from Goshen. And then that evening they have the they supper have together. And then I think and the next the day they go for their buggy ride and do rum and spring then, on and then come and home and frolic in the hay. All right. <laughs> so I guess maybe was it was the two weeks? Actually, here's the thing. Was the two weeks inserted just to make it feel like they didn't have sex right after they got to meet each other? Probably. It's true. I mean, which I guess it's probably good. It gave them both two weeks to think about what they wanted. Seems very 80s. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So they have this buggy ride. They start making out in the buggy. They then get home and they retreat to the barn for sexy times. 
This is written, if you read contemporary or any romances written in the last decade, this will read very differently to you because there's a lot of like, it's explicit, but there's a lot of like innuendo and definitely a lot of quivering. Like all the jokes that you would have made about romance novels uh, are probably true on this. Like one of my favorite lines is touched the fullness of his desire. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right after the touched the fullness of his desire. Like she continued to stroke him until last they joined as one. So this is going to say they still fade to dark. It's just Mm -hmm. the language Mm -hmm. in which like, you know, language romance today comes in all sorts of different levels of explicitness. Um, Mm -hmm. But this is kind of this weird combination of fairly explicit, but yet still, as you were saying, just like cloaked with innuendo. Mm -hmm. Um, It almost felt like they had to pass some kind of like censorship board. Like you can't say certain things. You have to use a lot of like, like alternative words and things. Well, your earlier thought about waiting two weeks before jumping into anything physical made me think like, I mean, we don't get any discussions about birth control or contraception, uh, which I am sort of used to hearing more about uh, in more recent romance novels. And so I'm like, well, I think thinking about things for at least two weeks before you decide to have unprotected sex might actually not be a bad idea. (laughs) Um, But for all we know, it was protected. And the only other comment I have on this sex scene is, I mean, I get why they didn't want to go to the house because, you know, Mammy is there. Ruth feels awkward, but surely there was a better place than the hay, which just sounds itchy. (laughs) Yeah, there was the hay, and then he pulls the buggy blanket out. Yes! And I was like, for you didn't put the buggy blanket out first? <laughs> yeah. yeah the all. cover has them on the hay, too, and it seems to be very soft and unitchy hay on the... On the... <laughs> well, and, and look at this line from page 123. This is, this is post-coital. The hay, still tempered from their body heat, and the downy blanket formed a warm, comfortable cocoon, and Ruth snuggled back into Jacob's grasp. The the hay is a comfortable cocoon? Like, what? No. Even even if you have a blanket on top of the hay, maybe maybe it's comfortable that way, but you're also in a hay mow or a hayloft, like... You're going to be sneezy and it's going to mm-hmm. smell like hay. And it, I don't know. I just, we've, we've had several books now with making out in the hay or having sex in barns. And I just got to say, I, have you ever been in a real barn? <laughs> they're smelly. Really? Maybe, the, maybe the point is that they're so attracted to each other and they're so passionate that their settings don't matter. We just have some concerns about allergies and itchiness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like this has got to be a really old holdover. And people are like, oh, roll in the hay. I'm like, yeah, this is from a time when you either couldn't get privacy in an actual like house or you shared a bed or a bedroom with your siblings. So like a mm-hmm. roll in the hay was the next best place. But like, even in the 80s, I feel like like you could find could find a better place to have sex mm-hmm. particularly because mm-hmm. his apartment is <laughs> in the barn right know. next to where they're having sex on the hay even the yeah. buggy itself seems like a better choice than the hay yeah. i don't know anyway <laughs> the point is that 
the sex happens. <laughs> after after which, Ruth and Jacob try to keep their uh, newfound love tryst a secret, but Mammy is not dumb and knows literally right away. Like the next day, Ruth tries to sneak back into the house and leaves a trail of hay behind her. Uh, so <laughs> Mammy is in the know, like from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, props to Mammy for like playing it cool. She's like, yeah. yeah. These people that I like are like having fun. That's good. I'll stay out of it. Yep. Like, wow, you're you're really cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you're very chill for the 80s. <laughs> she was. Go Mammy. <laughs> Meanwhile, outside of their, their love tryst, Ruth is still trying to do her research and decides she needs to get permission from the local bishop so that she has like sort of a clearance or reference for getting other Amish to talk to her. She sits down with Amos, the Amish bishop, who says, basically, I'm not sure why you think we're so interesting, but I'm not going to stop you. Ruth decides that perhaps the best way to do her research is to become an Amish taxi driver and quickly books a group traveling to Kelowna, Iowa. But before the drive, it's the 4th of July, with which Ruth can't miss. So the trip is scheduled for the 5th of July. This is important because a lot of plot points will occur on the 4th of July. First, Jacob and Ruth have sex in a pond. <laughs> so do not advise. Yeah, not just a pond. It's like a cow pond. Spring-fed self-stocked fish pond on a farm yeah and it's not like they have sex beside the pond like it's described as in in the water which i'm just gonna say we at just plain wrong do not endorse yeah (laughs) um so that's one plot point second while they were at the pond a not so surprised tornado occurs in that they knew that there was bad weather coming but went to the pond anyway but it is indeed a tornado that seems to catch them by surprise. They race home through the hail, go straight to the cellar, and it was described as a very giant tornado. Um, I think it says 100 yards wide at one point, which seems implausibly large. Okay, so like, I, I I knew that there was the storm cloud, like there was a thunder cloud, and they saw that, and then they got home. But I thought they, they weren't sure that it was a tornado until after the storm had ended, and they were like, oh, yeah, a tornado touched down here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just jumping maybe ahead in the plot part here. Yeah. <laughs> but it says the tornado had cut a path a hundred yards wide across their cornfields for as far as they could see from southwest to northeast. The fields were scarred with a black mud gash inflicted by the fierce tail of the tornado. Okay, so it's just the length of the furrow that the tornado carved. Mm-hmm. I don't was yards. Maybe. The wide, the wide is misleading, but the yes, just it is. But in any case, Mammy's greenhouse is destroyed as our, like, there's just a whole bunch of damage in the community. And so the Kelowna taxi trip is canceled, which I was disappointed that we never got to make it to Kelowna. I did think it was a little silly that as people who lived in Elkhart County, knowing severe weather is coming, thinking you're going to go to a visit to the pond, that did seem a little odd to me. I also thought, now this is completely, like, plausible, but basically, in addition to the greenhouse, uh, getting destroyed the pond itself is destroyed like basically yeah. all of the trees around it are rooted up and the water is sucked up and the fish like the pond itself is gone which is both bizarre and uh totally realistic like tornadoes can do very strange things like mm-hmm. that so yeah i thought that was a little odd too i was like well i guess you know if winds and forces are going through and you're uprooting you know the water would be sucked away or it would trickle away in in the gouged earth or whatever but yeah it was weird they talked about the fish 
being like all over. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I think that's plausible. I've never seen it personally, but if it was mm. a small pond, probably, I don't know. <laughs> all the more reason to, if it was a small enough pond that a tornado could destroy it, it's definitely dirty and you shouldn't have sex in it. <laughs> <laughs> Just because tornadoes want to go in there doesn't mean you should. Yes, doesn't mean you should. Like, it's probably filled with E. coli. You shouldn't even swim in it. <laughs> yeah. This was the 80s. They didn't have E. coli back then. <laughs> Everything right. was but pristine. They're very firm that half of why Mamie wants to partner with an Amish person to keep her farm going is because they don't use chemicals. Uh, oh, so they're, right. they maybe they don't have to worry about runoff. Because um, that would be an additional worry in my mind. <laughs> that's true. Gotcha. I, I, I tried to go wading in what I thought was a creek as a child. And dad was always like, no, that's a drainage ditch. You don't no, Don't go in there. Don't go in yeah. there. <laughs> I played in a creek that ran by our house in the summers as a kid that, oh, and like literally there was a cornfield uh, that a hill that, yeah, I'm sure it was filled with. Yeah. Yeah. That cannot have been good for you. Yeah. Nope, but they let me play in it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The things we don't know. Exactly. Okay, so there's a storm. And this next section of summary is a little bizarre, kind of disjointed. Just a lot of things happen. Basically, the storm becomes a metaphor for the pending storm in Jacob and Ruth's relationship. Jacob is busy. He's going around helping people rebuild. He's helping rebuild the greenhouse. Uh, Ruth is doing some driving and she's asked to drive an Emma Yoder into town. And because it's a common name, she doesn't know this at first, but it turns out that this Emma Yoder is Jacob's mom. Ruth doesn't tell Emma that she knows Jacob, but secretly wants Emma's approval, does not get it. (laughs) Um, Ruth's next mistake is visiting Jacob at a nearby like cleanup site and being too friendly. And Jacob like freaks out because he's worried people are going to notice that they're making eyes at each other. She then learns about a barn raising happening later that week. And she and Mammy want to go help and presumably like observe for her research. But Jacob is insistent that there is no need for them to attend. They go anyway and meet lots of nice Amish people. Uh, They just are sort of bickering and distancing themselves from each other for no clear reason other than Jacob being very concerned about what people think. And then they have a big fight and break up. Uh, I I think there was a secondary reason, which was he's concerned what people will think. And he's concerned that she's not sticking around, Mm. that she wants him for hot, sexy times and then it's going to leave and it's not real and, and that his reputation might be harmed for no reason because she'll have left. Well, and in the meantime, they've both come to the realization that they're in love with the other person mm-hmm. and have not told right. them and like refuse to say anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they don't want to trap the other one. So it's easier to trap yeah. them by not having a relationship than it's to trap them by having a relationship. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, this is a very classic romance novel. Basically the whole premise that like you could like remove one third if not half the book, if you just have the two main characters have a conversation, that's very and evident. It's, in it's this so book. frustrating because the relationship started off with the miscommunication that was corrected right away. And mm-hmm. like, as we got to that, I was like, yeah, this is great. They're both apologizing to each other. They're both realizing that they like each other and that they shouldn't like make assumptions. This is great. This is like a solid foundation for like a healthy relationship. And then it turns out that 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 just doesn't carry forward over time, I guess. So we have now made it to the end of the book. 
And a lot happens at the end of the book. So we're just going to lay it all out here. A couple weeks pass after their breakup. Ruth decides to stay in Goshen because she is offered a job in the Goshen College Anthropology Department, which does not exist. When Mammy gets sick, Ruth and Jacob are forced to stop avoiding each other and apologize. Like they're in the same room. So they apologize and they decide to try and be friends. Then there is a serious buggy accident that takes the life of one of Jacob's closest Amish friends. And Jacob, you know, he's mourning and Ruth goes to offer him comfort. But instead of comfort, Jacob's loss has him like spiraling a bit. And he's like considering rejoining the Amish. And this ends their relationship for good at the time. Um, More time passes. Ruth is then offered a job teaching in an Amish school, which... I'm still confused about Mm -hmm. Jacob then considers marrying his friend's widow because she asks him, which Mm -hmm. we like that. Um, But anyway, he doesn't (laughs) more time passes. Now it's winter. Jacob visits Ruth at the Amish schoolhouse where she's teaching and they finally talk and share their feelings and end up together. The end. (laughs) Yeah, that's about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the anthropology department thing kind of made me laugh. Also, the fact that they just offer her a job like out of the blue. And I'm like, wow, I wish academia <laughs> worked that way. Yeah. Um, I guess it's possible that like, Goshen had an anthropology department at one time. Uh, when yeah. I attended, it was the sociology anthropology major. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure the anthropology part has just been dropped now and it's just rolled into sociology classes. Mamie does not get sick. Mamie fakes being sick to get the oh, I was totally playing hooky. Like they leave to go to the Shipshawana farmer's market to sell yes. stuff. And she immediately that, yeah. gets out of bed and gets dressed and starts. <laughs> <laughs> I will say Ma- Mammy is totally the MVP of this book. Yeah. She Absolutely. is fun. She is spunky. She is wise. Um, not judgmental at all. Not- I know. Anyway, she's just a hoot. And I, she was by far the best part of this book. I felt like the buggy accident was both in many ways realistic. I mean, these things do happen. Elkhart County has a lot of buggies and these things do happen. It did feel also very convenient, um, like buggy accidents often are in some of these books. I actually really liked the scene where essentially, yeah, the widow of Jacob's friend basically kind of gently propositions him um uh, and I just thought it was like I it felt like very believable both in that like hey we know each other we have a friendship I have a bunch of small kids you're a good person do you want to get married like it felt very reasonable and and like something that maybe has happened in um I anyways I could see that happening yeah, the whole Ruth offering a job, getting a job teaching in an Amish, Amish school, that felt strange to me. Well, she said her job at Goshen wouldn't start for another year. Oh, yeah. I missed So that. my assumption was like, oh, so she's going to spend a year teaching at the Amish school. Where she makes yes. no money. It's a volunteer yeah. job, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they mention that and they say the Amish, uh, the, the bishop's getting a good deal because they get a teacher for a year. And she's getting a good deal because she gets to, like, immerse herself in Amish life. Okay. I I was like, I guess so. But she's only ever taught college classes, not (laughs) K through eight. So. 
I understood the mutually beneficial and maybe there is just like the practicality in that situation would win out. I just would expect there would be more concern about the impact of having an English person person teach an Amish school. Like Mm -hmm. Amish have spent a huge amount of time and effort making sure that they get to control their children's education. So the idea that they would just be like, oh yeah, random English person for whom we don't know Mm -hmm. super well. We've only really known for a summer. Like what, what morals will she be teaching? What worldly stuff will she be bringing to them? Yeah. But the, but the practicality, I think actually like that part mutually beneficial, that part actually kind of rang really true. It was more Mm -hmm. like the underlying, like, would you really allow that? Yeah. And it it is one area that, that this book is pretty vague about what research she's doing. She starts off because Jacob calls her out on, her research methods like you're just going to read books and then you're going to find whatever the books say about us and you're just going to agree with them and she's like oh okay well like I'll take some time to settle in the community first and make some of my own observations before I go to their books and then we know she's going to the college and studying and then she gets the job offer and then we get a weird flashback where she's like oh yeah by the way I put my resume in you know, just in case, because I knew I was in love with Jacob and I was thinking of staying. So I just like gave it to the department and it turns out they have an opening. (laughs) Uh, Yes, that's how it works. So (laughs) did you put in your resume anywhere else? (laughs) So the, yeah, the college part didn't make any sense to me. The research part, I was like, okay, she's actually like starting to just live in the community to observe for a while. That's good. And she's doing research. That's good. Even though we don't see her doing the research yeah and for someone who has hypothetically been doing research she really doesn't know how certain things work yeah (laughs) but but she's she's in the community enough in a genuine way helping people in a genuine way that I think like I don't think she would be offered a school teacher position but I think she would be welcomed in the community yeah Mm -hmm. Um, I, I if, and then if I can go back to your point, Abby, about the widow. So Jacob's friend dies and they have three kids and the widow is pregnant. And my first thought was like, oh, yep, he's going to feel obliged to like marry her. But yeah, I, I thought that the scene where the widow, whose name is Barbara, uh, talks to Jacob about it is actually quite accurate there's this line where she says, uh, he says, Barbara, I don't think of you that way. And he, she says, you think as the English do, what has love to do with this? And time will come to care for each other, just as I did with my husband. Love is a prideful vanity. Come back to us, live the good life as it is meant to be. And that's something that I've seen when I've read biographies and genealogies there's a lot of practicality when it comes to marriage compatibility matters and Mm -hmm. romance doesn't hurt and love and affection doesn't hurt but they're not primary if they don't exist there's the assumption that they will exist later and a lot of it is sort of transactional (laughs) there was one one where I was reading a book about a biography about a man who had been widowed. And in the introduction, he was talking about losing his wife and having young kids. And so they hired a nanny and a caretaker to come and just help take care. And she would go home in the evenings. And, but there was one evening where after dinner, they were sitting around and she was with 
the kids. And he basically turns to her and says, you know, if we were married, you wouldn't have to go home at night. And, and then they got married. Like that's where he ended the story. Like he thought that that was so romantic. I was like, that is very Amish. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that that's the part of the story that he chose to highlight. Yeah. um, Interesting. And how he Mm -hmm. met his wife was really, I thought kind of telling. That is interesting. And I feel like that is the Amish are definitely not the only culture that have that. There's lots of cultures in this world that view marriage as much more of a practical compatibility place uh, than, than basis on love. And, you know, I think there's some truth there too. Like love is wonderful. And, and especially the love that we mostly see portrayed in these romance novels, which is the like, you know, Ooh, got googly eyes and attraction Mm -hmm. and the crush and the like, Mm -hmm. The, the all of that that goes with that that's you know that doesn't tend to stick around um mm-hmm. so this idea that building your relationship on different building blocks um yeah i can see that making a lot of sense well uh i think we hit a lot of our favorite lines as we went but were there any in particular that either of you wanted to highlight oh there's this bit where jacob has found out that ruth took his mother to visit a friend in the hospital after the tornado. And he's just angry. Like, why didn't you tell me you saw her? And he was like, cause clearly you didn't want us to meet. So I just figured I wouldn't talk about it. And most of their conversation, their car ride was just like not talking. And then the part that was talking was like, I'm sorry, your arthritis is bad. So it was a really mundane conversation. And she thinks, in her head when Jacob is freaking out about this. I've already made contact with Emma Yoder and neither one of us was injured or enlightened by the experience. (laughs) She's just just sort of just like, nothing happened. None of us knew anything. None of us made any Eureka moments. We weren't hurt, but we weren't helped either. (laughs) Oh, also I enjoyed that after the storm has died down and they're, they're leaving the cellar to go see the damage that they've heard the hail and she goes there goes my rhubarb <laughs> and <laughs> honestly you know truth yes yeah. <laughs> also what is uncola there's this bit where someone asks if you want cola or uncola oh is that what they call diet soda back in the no 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 or no just no. non-cola no, no, sodas? No, no, no no this was a whole thing in the 80s tilly and you were not alive Seven okay. Up was known as the Uncola. It was like a whole oh, thing. Right. It was the Uncola. Oh, one other thing I liked, and actually, I don't know whether this is a real thing, but I, it's it has the ring of truth to it. So I clearly need to do some more research. But when Jacob is talking about, so when Ruth is setting up her like, or they're talking about the taxi driver, driver ser- you know, service or something like that, Jacob is basically points out that the Amish can't really go on vacation. So like, for example, one of them is like going to see their family in Illinois and then stopping by the Grand Canyon (laughs) and like (laughs) this whole premise that like by, you know, somehow including it in their family, like by visiting a family on the trip, they can just say, we're visiting family. We're not going on a, you know, vacation. We're not stopping by this museum. We're not going to the Grand Canyon. I, I I don't know that for sure if that's a real thing, but that does, that sounded that rang very true as a plausible thing that Amish would would come up with. I mean, that's that's kind of how my family traveled too. We would get halfway to some place for mm-hmm. a family reunion or to make it to someone's party, 
and stay at a relative's house. And then we'd say, oh, we're halfway across the country. We may as well <laughs> go, go to <laughs> go to you know Yellowstone National Park while we're at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I also um, flagged that as as interesting. Real quick, before we get into our ratings, we did want to uh, remind people that in our interview with Joe Springer, he talked a little bit about this author. She visited the MHL a lot for her research, which we appreciate. And yet we also marvel at how she still managed to get like shunning wrong when spending (laughs) all that time doing research. And Yes, the poor woman, the poor author spent all this time writing it only for them to spell her her name wrong. I did feel so bad for her. And it's I like, it's feel- not, I mean, it's like, it changes. Like, alluring is what the cover says. But then if you open it up and you can look at the actual, like, the alerting. title page gets, a, it's alerting, alert, mm-hmm. alerting, because basically, like, they they switched around the middle three letters of the name, which substantially yeah. changes it. Mm-hmm. So, All right, so let's rate this book. Uh, on a scale of, uh, let's say, one to five uh, cozy hay. What what did he call it? (laughs) One to five rolls in the hay. (laughs) Yes, one to five rolls in the hay. Tilly, you can just get to start. I mostly enjoyed this book. There were a few snags, uh, shunning being one of them, and a few sort of open-ended things like the religious affiliation of the Detweilers and the Mueller's to, that I wanted to know about. But overall, I thought sense of place was pretty good. I thought the relationship and the drama there was substantially more interesting <laughs> than most mm-hmm. books we read. Yeah. Uh, the angst towards the end about the lack of communication maybe went on a little longer than I think it should have, even with the time jumps, but it was something believable was their own insecurities and uh you know jacob is considering rejoining the amish so ruth is inclined to not pursue a relationship because she wants him to be happy and if that means he's amish then she knows her own boundaries she's not going to join the amish and jacob knows that ruth isn't going to give up her career and doesn't know about the goshen college convenient job offer uh (laughs) so he's trying to let her go so it, they're they're rooted in logical assumptions that they just don't talk to each other. That's frustrating. Uh, so I would go, I don't know, maybe actually a four. I think there were definitely times where I was giggling at at the way things were described or the the way the story was structured was a little odd or small inaccuracies. But for the most part, I was so relieved that the characters were likable and that their problems were real and Mm -hmm. their relationship seemed to have a solid foundation that that carried me through any of the parts that, that weren't as solid. Yeah. I, I agree with a lot of that. I, I feel like it was still kind of slow at various points. And I think it definitely felt like it was written in a different era and um, I occasionally had quibbles with some of the, the writing style here and there, but the characters were more believable and felt like, yeah, they had were based in real motivations a little more frequently. So I think I will give this 3.5 rolls in the hay. So it's funny because I actually read this 
almost a year ago for the first time before we had decided to do it for the podcast. And so in I had to like re-skim it today. And yes, I was sort of reminded at the slowness and reading my review of it uh, from seven, eight months ago. That was what I pointed out too. So yes, I did like this more than most things, but it did, it is longer than a lot of things we've read. And there's definitely portions of it that I just found very, very kind of boring. Anyway, all that is to say, I think I'm going to match Abby and do a 3.5. Thanks for listening to this week's episode on With Open Arms. We'd love to hear your thoughts on romps in the hay, 80s romances, <laughs> and quivering. <laughs> as, well, as well as your recommendations, corrections, and other musings. Next week, we will be discussing the reality series Breaking Amish. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at PlainRonPod or email us at PlainRonPod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at PlainRonPod.com to learn more about our podcast and pay help us pay our hosting fees by purchasing merch. We also always appreciate when people leave reviews and subscribe as that is how other people learn this podcast exists. Thanks for tuning in.